Pray for me. Uh, the last 24 hours have been very spiritual, and I know why. Uh, we're going to Israel two weeks from now. But it's just the last 24 hours have been very spiritual because the enemy doesn't want me to talk about what I'm going to talk about today. And so I just appreciate your prayers, and as we go through this, if we stumble or whatever, just hang on, it'll all come out. But it's a very, very important topic. Um, you might think, well, what can I do about it? At the end of the service, you're going to know what you can do about it. So don't check out, no matter how old you are. I know sometimes when we hear certain topics um, about whatever it might be, we sometimes check out. Please don't check out. Lives are at stake. And we had Pastor Ellen Beth come up today specifically because we're in Psalm 139. And what I'm going to talk about today is not a political uh, objective. It ties in perfectly with Psalm 139. Um, you know, Claude and I were discussing this past week about everybody's getting offended about anything nowadays. Everybody's offended. And she said, you know what, I'm just offended that people... No, I said this. She said, uh, well, you know, I'm offended about a lot of things and nobody seems to care. And I go, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you because I'm offended that people are offended too, but that's just the way it is. So so this morning, uh, you know, if I offend you, I don't mean to do that. Um, you know, maybe you just need to mature a little bit and get a little thicker skin and see the bigger picture of what we're dealing with in America here and, and in the world as well. Father, we thank you for your word and we come here this morning to hear from your word. There is no political agenda here. There's no race agenda. There's none of that nonsense, Father. We're here because you love mankind. You love every single male, every single female. So, Father, we thank you for that, and we just ask for your Holy Spirit to, to soften our hearts this morning to this very serious topic. And that, Father, we would get involved. We wouldn't just go, well, that was a good study. I hope somebody does something. No, we would all take this serious and do our part so that you would be glorified in and through our lives, Father. I pray for the gift of teaching. And Lord, again, that you'll be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you, several of you, I shouldn't say many, several of you, I bet many of you were thinking about it. Last week I did Psalm 138, and then I went to Psalm 140. And a couple of you actually came up and said, Hey, what happened to Psalm 139 there? Hey, guys are paying attention. Thank you. And I said, we're going to do it next week because the junior high and high schoolers sit in on the first Sunday of the month. And so it just worked out perfect for what you're, and you'll, you'll get it as we go along here. So, Psalm 139, it's a personal letter, and it can reveal a lot about the person who is writing it. And this song reveals a lot about David. First, we see that David took time, took time to meditate upon how God intimately knew him. You remember last week I mentioned about David having a close relationship with God? You see, this psalm expresses how God had a close relationship with David and has that relationship with every believer, every one of us in this room. Because again, sometimes we can look to the saints of old and lift them up or we can look to a saint of today, you know, Billy Graham. He had such a close relationship God will do that for anybody. Will he use us exactly like Billy Graham? Most likely not. But we can all have a close relationship if we so choose. You see, it's up to the believer to better understand that relationship daily. 
And there's youth amongst us this morning. And so I'd like to mention a few of the basics of how to better understand that relationship. Because I know sometimes people, when they're in their 40s or 50s, they go, man, I wish somebody would have told me this when I was a teenager. And so here it is. How can I develop that relationship? Well, first, get into the habit of reading the Word of God on a daily basis. Get into the habit of reading the Word of God on a daily basis. I'm a poor reader, high school graduate, that's it. Went to Bible college, but I'm a poor reader, and for me personally, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes to read the devotion, to read the, the, the Bible. And it's two, typically two to four chapters every day. It takes me about 20 minutes. Of course, I've been reading it for 41 years. And so that's gotten me used to it. Because some people say, well, you know, I'm not a good reader. And all of a sudden, all the excuses come out. Well, you know what? They have Bible and audio nowadays. So get the audio. I mean, there's no excuse today for any of us. Except for what? I don't make the time. Secondly, take time to highlight or make notes in your Bible those things that stir your attention. This is very, very important. Just like when you were going to college or high school or junior high and you learned how to highlight the notes because you knew what the test was going to be out, so you wanted to, at the last minute, run over your notes real quick and those highlighted things jumped out at you so that you could remember what was going to be on the test. Exact same thing in the Bible, but you're not going to be tested. But then as you read it year after year, I actually know a pastor who every year he picks a different color highlighter. And in the front of his Bible, he marks what color he's doing that year. So his, his Bible, looks, it's crazy. It's a coloring book. But he can go back and say, wow, you know, five years ago I highlighted that. And then he makes little notes in his margins as well. Mark it up. Don't be afraid. You're not, you know, it's not blasphemous. You see, God is speaking to you via the Holy Spirit, so make notes of it. Third, meditate on what you've highlighted. Pray about it. Ask God questions on what it means to you personally. Many pastors, unfortunately, and how do I know this? Because I've been at conferences where many pastors have acknowledged this. Many pastors, unfortunately, they get into the habit of reading the Bible for Bible study, for the flock, for counseling, for discipling, for other people. No, you read the Bible for you. And then down the road or during the day, if God uses that for somebody else, fine, that's great. But as you guys minister to other people, whether biblically or just socially, and you make eye contact, people know when you're just shining them on. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry you're going through that situation. And they look at you and they're thinking, you could care less. But when you go through situations and the word of God ministers to you, then you say that to that person and they look at you and they can see the compassion in your eyes because God is compassion. They can hear the comfort in your voice because God has comforted you. They know it's real. They might not understand it, but they know you're genuine and that's going to draw them to you, which then gives you the opportunity to share the word of God. So again, meditate, highlight, and fourth, memorize the scriptures so that you'll be ready for the spiritual battle that will take place at any time, even as I have been through it the last 24 hours, very intensely. You just got to memorize the scriptures. Go over the scriptures, quote the scriptures, pray the scriptures, whatever it takes. God's going to be with you and God's going to get you through it. So let's look at verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 139. 
For the chief musician, a psalm of David, or a song. Again, if you're newer visiting, the psalms are songs. They would have been sung. We read them because we don't know the melody, but they were literally songs. O Lord, you searched me and known me. Notice past tense. Not just know me now, known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. This is one of my favorite psalms. And when I go to people that are going to be going home to be with Jesus, I always read this psalm. I always read this psalm. This is one of them ones I read. Because people, obviously, when you're in your final hours, final days, whatever it might be, the enemy just works on the mind, works on the mind, works on the mind. Oh, you think God knows you, do you? So I always go to this psalm. Always. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Do you hear the intimacy there? Not just David being intimate with God, but God being intimate with David. And David understanding that. That God, you're acquainted with all my ways, all my decisions, the things that I do, the things I shouldn't do. You're familiar with those. For there is not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And you might be sitting there going, well, how could that be? Because God's outside our time realm. There's no clock in heaven, guys. When you get to heaven, nobody's going to come and say to you, hey, when did you get here? There's no clock. So this is why God can know the beginning to the end. This is how David understood this. You have hedged me behind and before. And laid your hand upon me. Speaking of protection. Taking care of me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You see, David came to understand that God knew everything about him. In verse 1, those four words there, you have searched me. They mean to penetrate, to examine intimately to penetrate to examine intimately we can hide things from god are we hiding them from god in our own mind we think we are but can we hide anything from god so we have to get to that realization in verse two you understand it means to discern to separate mentally. You understand my thought afar off. I'm not just one person in a, in a sea of humanity. You actually know me. And you know that Christian. And you know that Christian. And you know that Christian. In verse 3, are acquainted. Are, are acquainted. And are acquainted with all my ways. In the Hebrew, that means to be familiar with. To be familiar with. I don't know many of you, most of you, in the, I have no idea, most of you. I see you, I say hi, bye, I love you, want to get to know you more, but it's impossible to get to know all of you. And, and, and sometimes when you get to know a person, that a person might go, well, you know, I've, I've got certain shield around me because I don't want you to become too familiar with me. It's kind of funny when, you, when I walk into certain areas or when certain people come around, somebody, somebody innovatively will say, hey, Straighten up the pastors here. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Give me a break. What were you guys doing before I came in? 
Give me a break. You see, God's acquainted. In Matthew 10, 29, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? This is Jesus speaking. And not one of them, not one of them falls to the ground apart from my father's will, your father's will. Not one of them. Stinking little sparrows. They make mess. But Jesus says, my dad, my father, he knows every single sparrow. And he goes on to say, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That's getting easier for many of us. But I still wouldn't want to count mine. Do not fear, therefore, why? You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus was trying to teach the disciples the intimacy of God. My Father knows you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. That's how much He knows you. Question is, do I know Him? But He knows me. You see how that works? You see, notice in these verses that David is expressing just how much God knows him. And as I mentioned often, we need to be reading that the word so that we can learn more about God and his ways. We need to do that. But it's also important to notice how much God knows about you. You see, when a person comes to grasp that God knows them intimately, and that he still loves them intimately, that relationship means a whole lot more to them. So I have some questions for you. Do you really know how much God loves you? I mean, do you really, really know? It's easy to give a study. It's easy to use the Christian vernacular when we're around each other. But do we really know? Do we really know how much God cares for you? Do you really know that? Do you really know how much God is watching over you? I mean, do you really believe that? I really believe that. That God is watching over me. Do you really believe all of these things? And so the last question, do you really know? Not just Christian vernacular. But do you really know it? Where it's not just in here, it's in your heart. It's in your soul. That's what the heart means in the Bible. It's in your soul. Man, this day stinks. But God, you're still watching over me. I don't like this at all. But God, you're watching over me. Now at the end of verse 6 there, now don't expect to fully know how much, because even David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high. I cannot attain it. I can't totally understand it. It's just incredible. And sometimes what I hear people say is, well, the Bible's too hard, so they don't read it at all. I, I, I'll ask them, well, do you have a job? Yes, I do. Uh, have you studied with your job? Well, yes, I have. So if you go into work and, and your boss asks you to do something and you say, well, you know what? I don't know and I really don't care and I'm not going to try to find out. How long are you going to have a job? And that just helps the light to come on. Because we, we all, myself included, we can all make excuses that sound really good. But at the end of the day, they're excuses. They're just excuses. So let's get away from excuses and really learn how much God 
loves us and cares for us and watches over us, just as David does. You see, it's worth it. In verses 7 through 12, since God is omnipresent via the Holy Spirit, to be theologically correct, we know God is Father's in heaven. Jesus is heaven, but he has sent the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. So since God is omnipresent, since God knows us so well, where could we go where he wouldn't know where we're at? And, and if you guys have had little ones and, and little children, or if you have grandchildren, it's so funny. You know, they'll, they'll pick up a pillow on the sofa and they'll put it over themselves at three years old and they'll say, you can't see me. You're right. I can't. I have no idea where you are. And you'll walk around the whole house trying to find them when they're right there. But in their little mind, because they can't see you because of the pillow, they think that you can't see them. And we often do that same thing with God. Well, you can't see me. No, praise God, he can. He sees me when? When I pray. When, or where? when can I pray? And so these are the questions that I often ask the preschool. And if you're new or visiting, I'm very basic. I'm very simplistic. I've got to keep it that way because that's just, that's just me. I have to keep it away from my own life. When can I pray? Anytime. And I've been doing this for, with this group of preschoolers for like six months now. I say this almost every single time I'm with them doing the, doing the chapel. They still don't get it. <laughs> but you know, they'll, they'll eventually get it. It's going in. So sooner or later it's going to click. Where can I pray? Anywhere. I mean, when I was born and raised, you had to go to church to pray because that's where God's house was. And you had to be on a kneeler in order to pray. You just can't be out in the garage working on the car and throw up a prayer. No, that, that's not going to work. What can I pray about? Anything. So anytime, anywhere, anything. I know it seems so simplistic, but how often do we forget the simplicity? How often? I say it on a daily basis, myself included. Myself included. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit, David asked. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. You know, we have terms and we use terms. We use night, we use light and darkness. There's really no darkness. It's just called the absence of light. That's all it is. It's also hot and cold. It's really not cold. It's the absence of heat. If you really get down to the science of it. And so David is just saying here, there's no such thing as darkness because you are light. God is light. Didn't Jesus say, I'm the light of the world? So it's not a matter of, oh, there's darkness and light. Which one's going to win? If you're in a totally dark room and you light a match, you know who just won the match. That's what David is saying. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. God is light. There's no darkness. When you get into heaven, when we get into heaven, 
I mentioned this at every memorial service. In this room, there's all kinds of shadows going on. And we turn lights off, turn lights up. It doesn't matter. There's all kinds of shadows. You lift up your foot. There's a shadow underneath your foot. When you get to heaven, no shadows. The glory of God totally illuminates all of heaven. There's not a shadow anywhere. We can't comprehend that. But that's just a reality. That's why why David says these things. God is light. There's nowhere you can hide from God, and and God's glory totally illuminates all of heaven. Now, in verses 13 through 16 is where we're going to get into the sensitive issue of the study this morning. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book, they are, they all were written. The days, and this is why I read this to anyone who's getting close to passing. The days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. God is never surprised when somebody passes. Ever. Ever. He is never surprised. I'd like to read this as we just read it out of the New King James. You can just listen. I'm going to read it. I'd like to read it out of the New Living Translation. So just just go ahead and listen. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's the intimacy of God, guys. So in verses, let's look at verse 13. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you cover me in my mother's womb. Notice that it was God who is the author of humanity and not humanity. Yes, as husband and wife, husband and wife, one male, one female, we have a, the physical act to accomplish the creation of a new human body. But it is God who places the spirit within that individual. Well, how do I knew, know that? Well, there are various verses about how about these things, and you can read them yourselves. But when God was speaking to Moses about his calling, you can read this yourself, God says this in Exodus 4.11. So the Lord said to him, the him here is Moses. Who is man, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? And that's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, God, you did. Now I don't get, I don't understand sometimes why God allows those things to happen, but the Bible says that. 
So that's first and foremost. Understand your Bible, read your Bible, and know that it is God who creates every single person on the face of this earth. Yes, he uses a husband and a wife, but he is the one. There's also something else going on within every person on this earth, and it has been placed there by God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he, and the he here is God, he has put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So it is God. Because we are created in the image of God, everyone is searching after what happens after this life. Everyone. And if you look at religion on the face of this earth, a majority of the 7.4 billion people on this earth are seeking after eternity. Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic, Islam, whatever it is. A majority, there's very few people that are not seeking after eternity in one way or another. They want to know what's coming up. I only got 70, 80 years. What's behind all this? So again, because we are creating the image of God, everyone is searching after what happens after this life. And there are innumerable ideas out there. But the only way, young people, the only way to, of absolutely finding out what happens after this life is by reading the Word of God. And so David here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives anyone who is searching for the answer to this life and eternal life that we are in God's hands. And nobody, nobody gets out of this life early. Again, I've done all kinds of memorial services for babies before they were born, for babies, for teens, 20s, the whole gamut. Done them all. The scripture applies. Nobody gets out early. Nobody gets out late. We're all going to die right on time. And those who are left behind, you know, we use words like, oh, it was so tragic. He died so young. Yeah, it is sad that he died young, but God knew he was going to die. God is sovereign. And so God knew. So go back to, always go back to the word of God. That God has an appointment for every one of us. We're going to Israel this week. Praise God. Two Sundays from now, those of you who are going to Israel, we're actually be selling, we're celebrating communion in the garden. Two weeks from today. <laughs> in the garden. It's going to be awesome. And people are like, oh, you're going to Israel? Isn't it dangerous over there? Do you know how many people died on American highways last year? 35,000 people died in America on, on highways in America. Are you afraid of driving? No, I do it every day. Then get over it. Go to Israel. If you're supposed to die in Israel, you're going to die. God's going to get you there one way or another. Don't worry about it. And if I die and don't come back, praise God, I'll see you up in heaven. I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to be thinking about you. I'm going to be worshiping God. That's just the way it is. My, my mind is going to be washed, praise God, of all this nonsense of who didn't make it, it's going to be gone. It's wonderful. Look at John chapter 19. Look at John chapter 19. You see, knowing that, that none of us gets out of here early or late, that should really give the believer a tremendous amount of peace and security. And that's why when I go visit with people, I really emphasize certain scriptures because they need that peace and security. They need to understand it's going to be okay. God knows when you're going to take your last breath. Listen to this exchange between Jesus and Pilate 
while Jesus was on trial the day of his crucifixion in John 19.10. Then Pilate said to Jesus, Are you not speaking to me? (laughs) I could just see his chest puffed out, all proud. Don't you know who I am? I've got authority over all these soldiers. Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Don't you know that? <laughs> I just love Jesus. I'm sure he was, Jesus was praying for him at that very moment. I'm, I'm sure Jesus wasn't saying, oh yeah, well you're going to hell and I'm so happy about that. <laughs> I know Jesus wasn't saying that. I'm sure he was praying for his soul because Jesus created hell for the fallen angels and Jesus knows how long eternity is. So he wasn't w- walking around cursing people. He was praying for people. So he calmly looks at Pilate after being beaten, after going sleepless, most likely for the night. And he says, Jesus answered, you could have, and again, I don't think this was with sarcasm or anger or, well, you think you're so hot stuff? I think it was with sympathy in his voice. Knowing you're just a frail human being. I'm God. You got 70, 80 years, pal. I've come from eternity. I'm going back into eternity. I believe it was a very soft tone that Jesus said to Pilate. You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. But for fear of the Jews, he didn't. Pilate knew Pilate knew, read the Bible, Pilate knew this was not an ordinary man. He knew something was not, okay, I want to I, I want to let you out, but oh boy, I can't, because I'll lose my job if I do. As you, as you study history, you'll know what I mean by that. Pilate gave in to the whims of mankind. Now, since God is the author of life, I'd like to talk about a coming judgment upon this nation and this world. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Well, I thought God was all love. God is all love. But God is also just. You see, not many pastors will address this issue because it's too sensitive. And I agree. It's very sensitive. But it still needs to be addressed in a mature, non-judgmental, and uncondemning way. I want to say that again. So if you think I'm coming across judgmental or condemning, I'm trying not to. I'm just a human being. So I'm telling you up front, I'm not, okay? It's very sensitive, but it still needs to be addressed in a mature, non-judgmental and uncondemning way. It's the topic of abortion. And since our society is so plugged into the internet, Could we use that medium to spread the truth about the process of what actually takes place during an abortion? Now, before we get into that topic, though, I'd like to give an important illustration that will come into play later on in the study. So here's the illustration. Does anybody, would anybody give me a penny a day? Just feel free to raise your hand. Not yet till you hear the rest of the question. A penny a day, and then every day, just for 30 days, every day you have to double that amount. Every day. just just I'll just take 30 days. I'm fine with just 30 days. 
I mean, who couldn't afford 18 cents after five days, right? How about the next slide? Day, day five is 16 again. 16 cents, it's not that big a day. Day 10, $5.12. I mean, who wouldn't give me that? Day 15, 163 bucks. Ooh, you're starting to squeeze me a little bit, Pastor. But it's still only day 15. It's not that big a deal. How about day 20? $5,242.88. Ooh, this is not good now. Try to get somebody to do this for you. It works out really well. How about the next slide? Day 25, you're going to give me $167,772.16. Starting out with one penny on day one and doubling it on day one. How about the next slide? On day 28, I'm a millionaire. Thank you for making me a millionaire. $1,342,177.28. Just starting with one penny on day one and doubling. And lastly, day 30, cha-ching. Won the lottery. $5,368,709.12. Cha-ching. I emphasize that. Keep that in your mind towards the end of the study. Very, very important. Just one penny a day. I would encourage you all to do a study on viability, the word viability. Because that is one of the main arguments with abortion. You see, the definition of viability is this. Capable of working successfully. Feasibility. Capable of working successfully. Feasibility. That's what it's all about. And that's one of the main arguments about abortion. Well, abortion's okay because the baby's not viable. The baby, so that's a term you want to learn. The baby's not viable. Very interesting. I I would ask this simple question. Is an infant viable outside the womb? Can an infant take care of themselves outside the womb? How about a one-year-old? Can a one-year-old take care of themselves, provide for themselves, change their diaper, all those things? Can a one-year-old do that? How about a five-year-old? Can a five-year-old take care of themselves outside of the womb? I I would have to say that most humans are not viable until they're in their late teens, when they can go out and get a job and they understand finances and what it takes to earn a living. So that, you know, it's just, it's a very lame argument at best. But it makes a person feel better about killing their own child. They'll say, it's all about being viable anyways. What's the big deal? The baby's not viable. It's not a big deal. No, it's called taking a human life or murder. And that's why Satan wanted the Ten Commandments out of the social fabric of our lives. The social fabric of our lives. Murder is the sixth commandment, and there is no question that abortion is murder. Well, let's make the discussion a little more personal. You will not hear Planned Parenthood, nor feminist, nor most Democrats talking about the following facts. They base their opinion on feelings, on a woman's right, and not facts of the topic. And by the way, I am pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. You want to have sex? You're free to have sex. That's, that God gives you free will. But after you get pregnant, I'm pro-life. And you've given up your choice at that point. You are called to bring forth that child. See, abortion, let's make it a little person. Abortion is the biggest single negative force 
on black American growth. Our best estimates, based on a projection of the most recent data through the current period, is that the current cumulative number of abortions from 1967 through June of 2018 is 59.4 million, of which an estimated, did you guys hear that? 59.4 million abortions in America. Not 5 million, not 500,000. 59.4 million abortions in America, of which is estimated 20,350,000 are black American abortions. Now, considering that the total current black American population is about 42 million, or 14% of the total population. Now, think about this. Those 20,350,000 black American abortions are equal to 48% of the current total black American population. Abortion doesn't hurt anybody. (laughs) If not for abortion, the total black American population would be approximately 62,350,000. In 2015 there were an estimated 9,168,000 black American women in their childbearing years between the ages of 15 and 44, which make up around 14% of all women in that age group in the United States of America. These women experienced 1,044,679 pregnancies, of which there was 423,000 abortions. And there were 621,679 births. Abortions accounted for 40%, 40% of all black children in America in 2015. I think that's called genocide. I think that's called genocide. And we're worried about what everybody else is doing versus what's happening in our own backyard with our coworkers and our neighbors. You see, keeping the black American community smaller and less powerful reflects the racist, eugenic, and genocidal mindset behind the abortion policies advanced by Planned Parenthood or anyone who endorses abortion under the guise of helping black Americans. The word eugenic, which is very important to you as well today, you need to learn that. Look that up. E-U-G-E-N-I-C. This is the definition of eugenics. The science. I believe in science. The science of improving a human population by controlled breeding to increase the occurrence of desirable, heritable characteristics. Worldwide abortions, annually an estimated 56 million babies die from abortion worldwide. Judgment on our, on our world and judgment on our nation. That's approximately one baby being aborted every 1.8 seconds. Abortion in the United States. An estimated, again, uh, 59.14 million babies in the U.S. have been aborted since 1973. Approximately 21% of all U.S. pregnancies 
and in induced, induced abortion, March 2016. So that's one in five. Now, characteristics of a woman who has an abortion. 58% of all women having abortions are in their 20s. Black, non-Hispanic women have the highest abortion ratio. According to institutions, women who obtain abortions are predominantly poor or low income, in their 20s and unmarried. Black women and Hispanic women continue to be disproportionately represented among abortion patients. More than 7 in a 10 U.S. women obtaining an abortion report a religious affiliation. 37% say they are Protestant, which means they believe in the Bible. Now, whether they believe in it or not, that's irrelevant. If you say, I'm a Protestant, you're saying, I'm a believer in the Word of God. 28% are Catholic. Again, they believe in the Word of God. 7% are other religions. So again, 7 out of 10 women will say, I'm a religious person. Abortion norms after 20 weeks gestation. The United States is one of only seven countries, and currently there's 195 countries, one of seven countries in the world that permit elective abortions past 20 weeks. Upholding laws restricting abortion on demand after 20 weeks would situate the United States closer to the international mainstream instead of leaving it as an outlying country with ultra-permissive abortion policies. I want to show you a picture, so if we could drop down the the stage lights. Um, Very, very important here. Let me get my paperwork. This is a Japanese baby. World's smallest baby boy, born weighing 268 grams. Now healthy and sent home from Tokyo Hospital, February 27th, 2019. Keio University in Tokyo said Tuesday that a baby with a birth weight of 268 grams, do you know how much that is? 9.4 ounces. You see this water bottle? How many of you have a water bottle in your hand? Or how many of you have drank a soda? This water bottle here is 16.9 ounces. 16.9 ounces. This baby was 9.4 ounces. You can see the picture there. You can see the two hands. See that? Had been released from care at the hospital after growing to a weight of 3,238 grams, which is 7 pounds, 1 ounce. Becoming the smallest boy in the world to be sent home healthy. The previous record holder, wouldn't you want to be that record holder? <laughs> was born weighing 274 grams in Germany in 2009. The smallest girl was born weighing 252 grams. She was a little concerned about her weight. 8.8 ounces, also in Germany. There have been 23 babies worldwide who survived having been born prematurely and weighing under 300 grams, 10.6 ounces out of whom only four were boys, according to the tiniest baby's register website. The boy in Tokyo was born through an emergency cesarean section in August as his weight did not increase in, at 24 weeks gestation, and doctors determined his life, his life was in danger. 
The baby was so small at birth that he could fit in a pair of hands. But after doctors treated him at a neonatal intensive care unit at the hospital, by managing his breathing and nutrition, he grew steadily and was able to be breastfed. He left the hospital last Wednesday, two months after the initial due date. Babies born weighing below 1,000 grams, 2 pounds, 2 ounces, are likely to suffer heart failure, have difficulty breathing, or acquire severe infectious diseases to their underdeveloped organs. Their survival rate of such babies in Japan and other developed nations has been as high as 90% in recent years. But the rate plunges for babies, especially boys, you ladies are actually stronger, born at less than 300 grams or 10 ounces. The doctor says, I want people to know that babies can return home vigorously even if they are born small. And this picture is very, very important as you have a discussion with people about abortion and babies. Well, it's just a glob of tissue. I don't think that's a glob of tissue right there. Matter of fact, if you just do a little bit of study, I'm going to ask you a question, don't have to respond, but it's a question you need to know and it's a very basic question. When does a baby's heartbeat start to beat? 21 days. Most women don't even know they're pregnant at 21 days. That means the baby has a closed circulatory system. The baby is not taking mommy's blood. The baby's blood is different than mommy's blood. You just got to know some very basic facts. So when you talk to somebody, you can at least educate them a little bit. It's not a blob of cells. It's a beating heart at 21 days. Alliance Defending Freedom has this. Abortion extremism has no place in America. As just a couple weeks ago, they passed a bill that you can now kill a baby up until birth. And if the baby comes out alive and survives, survives the abortion, you can put them on a tray and let them die. That's called infanticide. But that's in America. We're the leaders, right? In God we trust. I don't think so. Forcing churches and pro-life organizations to cover abortion-inducing drugs in their insurance plans? Is that what we should be doing in America? Funding Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion business, to the tune of $500 million from taxpayers a year. $500 million of your tax dollars is going to Planned Parenthood. Passing laws that dehumanize unborn children even up to the moment of birth? Debating whether to protect the lives of innocent babies left screaming on a table, which the Democrats voted down this past week, a bill that would have protected abortion survivors. The Democrats voted it down. We don't need that. Is this really what American public wants? And again, this is not a political deal. This is just reality. Be mature. This is reality. Is this the future you want for your children and grandchildren, they ask? Is it? You see, this is for you and me, guys, to make a decision. What are we going to do? You see, a disproportionate... Oh, my word, it's 1028. There's no way we're going to get through this. All right, here we go. Let's put up the next slide, Jim. Gordon. And turn down the lights. We'll forego the last song. This is... we got to do this, guys. This is so important. Do you see this man right here? You see this man right here? He's a man. He was a man. His name is Gordon, but you can look it up and do your own research. He's also called Whip Peter. 
And what basically took place in 1863, he was running. i got to speed this up. He was running from his master. He ran for, I forget how many days, I think it was 8 to 10 days. He made it to the north. The doctor looked at him, said, you got to take off your shirt, I need to examine you. And this is what he saw. Then this picture, this very picture right here, went throughout the whole country, and that was the final nail that put it in the coffin. Slavery is unacceptable. So again, what can we do about it? Go back to the penny, right? Well, let's say, you can turn the lights back up. Let's say that one person sends out this message. One person in this room sends out this message that abortion is wrong. And that person on day two, now two of those people send out the message. Jim, I think you got that slide. There it is. Keep going, Jim. Running out of time. Day 20, we're going to be up to 524,288 people are going to hear this message. On day 25, 16 million. Keep going, Jim. On day 30, 536 million people. On day 25, on day 25, go back to that one, Jim. On day 25, 16 million. I'm sorry, next one, Jim. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Day 30, that's larger than in the American population. We have 300, I think, 325 or 330 million Americans. So if everyone in this room took this information and started using it, not politically, forget the Democrat stuff, but just go back to what? Keep going, and I think on the next slide, on day 33, 4 billion. 4 billion, almost everyone in the world would read this. So, Jim, go ahead and throw up that slide with, that gives the, um, the Internet uh, website. So what I encourage you to do is go to this website, https www.liveaction.org. Liveaction.org. Can you see that? It's in it's in yellow, so it's kind of hard to see. We'll change that for the second service. Jim, you want to cut down the the stage lights, or Dominic, you want to cut the stage lights? Take a take a picture of this. Scroll down to abortion procedures. It's a doctor who had committed twelve hundred abortions, who became a believer, and he does animated. He tells the story through animation. You guys need to know, I've known this for you, you guys need to know what actually takes place in an abortion. It's horrific. It's horrific. They actually will pull a baby apart. And then they lay the baby's parts on a tray and piece the baby back together to make sure that they got all the parts out of the mom. It's just mucus. It's no big deal. It's huge, guys. And you and I have the opportunity in the days we're living in What can I do about it? Well, what I'm going to do about it when I get back from Israel is I'm going to send this to all my family members. They're not going to like me, but they don't like me now anyway, so who cares? (laughs) I'm going to send it to everybody I can on, on, on an email. And if that affects one person or two people or five people, and they send it out to all of their friends or whatever, unbelievers as well as believers, and it keeps going, then we got what? We got the viral thing going. I'm not interested in the viral thing. I'm interested in saving lives. Psalm 139. God knows us. God knows us. Verse 17 and 18. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you, David says in Psalm 139, 17 and 18. He goes on to say, just skip down to verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That should be our prayer. We don't need a closing song. You guys are, you, you guys love Jesus and you love the Bible. I know you, that's why you're here. That's a given. 
But guys, I'm challenging myself as well as you. We got to take it to the next step. Infanticide has come to America. It's reality. There are people clapping. Yay! Women have the right to kill their baby up until the day he's born. How many females out of the 59 million babies were killed? Just use 50% and round it to 60 million. 30 million women were killed since 1973. Is that acceptable for a women's movement? Give me a break. Wake up. Jesus is the most important thing. As we go out and spread this information, we need to take people to Jesus. Take people to Jesus. Take people to Jesus. But if we could save one baby, guys, wouldn't that be worth it? Absolutely. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. And Lord, there are things that we can do, even from our own home, even from our own laptop, even through our social media. And it's scary. People won't like us. People may mock us. People may give us death threats. Who cares? You know the number of our days. Nobody's going to kill us unless you allow it to happen. So, Father, just give us boldness to take a stand for the unborn. And as we gather together and as many people gather together for the walk that Choices Pregnancy Center is putting on, may we get behind that and let our voices be heard. I pray for the young people who are with us today. They are not insignificant. They can say, they can speak up for the unborn. And I pray that they would do such. And the oldest person here can do the same and everyone in between. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. And do as the word tells us to do. Speak the truth in love. Help us to have love, Father. For there's no condemnation for these women. But we do want them to know the truth. So fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would love everyone. But we'd also be truthful with them as well. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Pray for us. Pray for me, really, seriously. <laughs> let me ask you, let me ask you to do this. This is crazy. I've never done this. And for you people going to Israel, you're going, uh-oh. <laughs> I've always been on tour where other pastors have shared. And this is the first time that I'm actually going to be doing all the sharing. So people are going to be sick of me after 10 days. But I have to teach 29 times, 29 studies, and 9 devotions in 10 days. So please pray. Appreciate it. God bless you guys. Have a great day.